Good morning. The story is told of a father of a wealthy family who took his son out into the country uh, to show his son how poor people can be. They spent a couple of days and nights on this farm that, of a family that would have been considered to be very, very poor. And on their return from their trip, uh, they got in a little conversation and the dad said, what did you think of the trip? And his son said, it was really good, dad. Thanks for bringing me out there. His dad said, did you see how poor people can be? He said, oh yeah, oh yeah. So what did you learn from the trip? The father asked. And the son answered, said, well, I saw that we have one dog and they have four. We have a pool that reaches to the middle of our garden and they have a creek that goes to no end. We have imported lanterns in our garden and they have stars at night. Our patio reaches to the front yard and they have a whole horizon. We have this small piece of land to live on and they have fields that go beyond sight. We buy our food, but they grow their food. We have walls around our property to protect us, but they have friends to protect them. With this, the the boy's father was speechless. And then his son added, thanks, Dad, for showing me how poor we are. (laughs) Life's all kind of perspective, isn't it? I mean, what glasses are you looking through to see the haves and the have-nots, to see whether you should be happy or whether you shouldn't. And when we look through the wrong lenses, we come to the wrong conclusions. Was the dad coming to the wrong conclusion or the boy? Please open your Bible with me to Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at a passage written from a jail cell in a time where circumstances were really bad in the life of the Apostle Paul. Chapter 4, verse 11, it says this, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Everything. Paul starts with this, which I would recommend you underline. I have learned. I've learned. And you can underline that because contentment is something we learn. We're not born with it. It's not like some people are just born with contentment. No, babies cry. Toddlers can throw fits, teenagers can pout, grown-ups whine and complain, right? Contentment is a learned attribute. And growing older, getting wealthier, doesn't automatically assume or mean that we're going to learn contentment. Contentment is not apathy or laziness. It's not just this case or asra attitude. But Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Contentment is independent of my circumstances. That means that I've got to quit basing my happiness, basing my contentment on how well life is treating me, how how much stuff I got, 
How good my stuff is compared to somebody else's stuff. Life is a school of contentment every day. And the sad thing is, is that many people live and die and they die unfulfilled, unsatisfied, unhappy and discontent. This passage gives us a couple clues into how Paul learned contentment. And we're going to look at a couple of them. The first one is this, avoid comparisons. See, from the beginning of time, comparing yourself to somebody else always leads to to discontentment. If you want to learn to be content, you have to avoid comparisons. There will always be people who will have greater opportunities than you, who will have more money than you, better stuff than you. They might be better looking than you. They, They might have a better job than you. I remember when I went to work at a place called Balcom Computer Center in Tucson, Arizona, we had just uh, arrived back in the United States from the mission field, and I was praying for a job, praying for a job. My family was praying. My mom and my brothers were praying, and I got a job. I got this job. It was a good job. It paid me $30,000 a year back in 1991. I was pretty excited, pretty stoked on that. We had... We had gotten used to living on 8000 a year while we were in Costa Rica. And that was hard. It wasn't easy to do that, but we had done that. And so here we are now with this amazing job that God had provided. We were thankful. We, we were so happy. That was until they hired Marcus. Went in one day and I saw this guy. He's a little younger. And he uh, had a loud mouth. He had a cocky attitude. And then I found out they had actually paid him a little more money than me. A couple thousand extra. And how did I find out? He told me. He wanted me to know. And I went from just, this is just within three to four weeks from getting the job. I went from being incredibly thankful to being angry and resentful. And every time I saw that guy, I would just get mad. I remember driving to work each day, just plotting how I was going to resign. And I was going to show them. I was going to find a different job, a better job that paid more money. And I was going to come in and plop down my resignation and say, you should have paid me more for paying that idiot down the hall more. Isn't that crazy how we can go from happy about what we have, happy about what God's provided, to being completely discontent, like overnight. It's just crazy. You, you, you loved your Walmart shoes until you saw someone else that had something better, right? John the baptizer said this to people. He said, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. I read that and it convicted me. And so I, I, I stayed in that job and I just asked the Lord to help me be content with my pay, and to quit comparing myself to the guy down the hall that came in after me that got paid more than me and he had a, he had a pukey little attitude going with it. <laughs> we had this discussion in our life group um, a couple nights ago about uh, contentment. Does that mean contentment? Does it mean that you just kick back, you don't care, you give in, you don't really care about trying to improve your circumstances? You just become passive. No. No, you, you can be working towards a goal of improvement, of bettering your situation. 
But yet, at the same time, you've got to learn, and I've got to learn, how to live in the moment of today. And in my circumstances that I'm dealing with today. Whether you're experiencing low pay, or maybe you don't even have a job. To be content in whatever circumstances you find yourself in, means that you can experience God's peace and God's joy, that God's Spirit is flowing through you, you're living with a, a, a attitude of gratitude every day, even if things are not so good. God wants us to learn how to be content. And one of the first ways we learn is quit comparing ourselves to everybody else. Of how well somebody else has it, how bad we have it, but to just thank God for the moments we're living in. See, when you're discontented with your pay, that plays into a lot of other stuff not just about salary and the take-home check or what someone else makes versus what you make. It comes down to when we're discontented, we end up going into debt because we buy things we think we deserve that we have no money to actually buy, no business buying it. But we do it anyways because we're discontented with what we make. So in order to figure that out, we just use credit cards. Where do you need to experience contentment in your life today? Maybe in your pay or in your health or your spouse. Maybe it has to do with a schedule or your job or your parents or the school you attend. We all struggle with stuff, don't we? That we're struggling to learn to be content in a particular circumstance while we're waiting on those circumstances to change or maybe even while we're working on changing some of those circumstances. No matter how good you have it, you can always find someone else who has it better, right? Isn't that true? Paul said in a different letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, we don't look around at what we see right now, the troubles all around us, but we look forward to the joys in heaven. The troubles will soon be over, but the joys that come will last forever. Paul said, we don't look around. We're not comparing ourselves to everyone else and seeing how bad we have it and how good other people have it. He's saying, I'm looking forward, I'm looking up, I'm looking to God, I'm looking forward into eternity. We think if I had just a little more, then I'd be happy, don't we? I mean, Howard Hughes was asked, how much money does it take to make a man happy? He said, just a little bit more. It's elusive, isn't it? It's elusive. We always think it's just around the corner and then we'll be happy. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Pretty simple, isn't it? All possessions are temporary. I bet you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Because we're leaving it all here. We're leaving it all here. It's temporary. We enjoy it for a little season of time. We are the stewards of it, but we're going to end up giving it all away to somebody. Somebody else will get your stuff one day. And circumstances change. You can have a lot in one moment and a little the very next. There's nothing certain in life except change, right? So that means we've got to learn to adjust. We've got to adjust to change. How well do you handle change? When things change, they just come, boom, changing, life's changing, new deck. Does that stress you out? 
Do you get uptight? Do you get frightened? Do you get angry? Paul says that one of the secrets of learning to be content in life is to be flexible, to just have this ability to change, to allow new things to happen. Paul says you need to learn to adjust to it. See, our happiness in life will largely be dependent upon our ability to adapt, to be flexible, no matter what happens, whether we have a lot or a little. Verse 12 says, I know what it is to be in need. He was well acquainted with need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Do you read change into this? Had a lot, had a little. Well-fed, nothing. Most of us have never gone without a meal. And, and yet Paul's saying, I've been hungry. I know what it is to have nothing to eat. I know what it is to have a lot. In plenty and in want. When's the easiest time for you to be content? When you have a lot or a little? A lot or a little? For me, I know, it's when we have less. I think of the times when we were struggling more, we had less in our life. I don't know why, but it just was a little bit, not easy, but a little bit easier to just be content. When our family was living in Costa Rica, we were reaching out to an extremely poor barrio little community, and we would buy food in bulk and go distribute it to these little slum-like areas. The leader of this particular uh, neighborhood, Indiana Lodi, that we had gone to, uh, invited us into their little home. And so their home, you have to, you have to visualize this, but their home, one, one side of their little house, um, which has eight people in one bedroom, by the way, is plywood. Another side is cardboard. And then there's like a piece of a tarp over another side, and then there's like a sheet for their door. There's dirt floors inside. Well, we walk inside to their little house, and 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 I was I was a little awkward. It was uncomfortable, and I'm in there, and I and and I, because of the awkwardness, I'm looking around, going, "What can I compliment?" You know, I just need to say something. You know, you ever feel that way? You get uncomfortable. You just you're searching for something, and I. I saw over in the corner this beautiful little rocker that they had handmade. It was like a certain kind of wood. It had some carvings on it. It, had, it was painted really, really beautiful uh, in the way that only Costa Ricans can paint stuff. And, and then it had like sheepskin on the seat. It was the nicest thing in their, in their place. And I said, oh, that's such a nice little rocker. And Tisa said, yeah, that's, that is, that's a cool rocker. How, wow, how did you get that? And they told us the story behind it. And then afterwards, they went over and got it, and they handed it to us, and they said, we want you guys to have it. And we're like, no way. We're not taking the nicest thing, not only in your house, but probably in this whole little community. They're like, no, 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 please take it, take it, take it. I couldn't turn them down. So we ended up taking out of their little place the nicest item and walked back to our Jeep, got in it, and drove off. You know how humbling that is? You say, how could someone who had so little give so much? I think it's because they knew they weren't the owners. They knew that their life wasn't wrapped up in their possessions. They had learned the secret of contentment. They were flexible when it came to their stuff. 
I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can cope. I avoid comparisons. No matter what hurt, no matter what difficulty you or I go through, we have a choice to make. We can either become the victim and look at ourselves with a victimized mentality and we'll go through the rest of our life with that. Or we can release some of those circumstances, some of those things that were out of our control back to God and we can live in the freedom of today and just live with an attitude of gratitude, not manipulating things. Uh, I was looking at a 2020 report not long ago. Maybe you saw the very same one. This guy who's this artist, you remember that? Artist, he's living in Brooklyn. And it was kind of this little piece on unusual houses. Well, this guy, he couldn't afford the rents in Brooklyn. And so he ends up buying this little dumpster for 500 bucks and then remodels it for another couple thousand. And he parks his dumpster and he lives out of his dumpster in Brooklyn, New York. Let's watch it really quickly here. Would you live in a trash can? We're in Brooklyn and here we have a drab green dumpster on the outside. Inside, holy smokes if it isn't a fully functioning home. Greg Klain, an artist from California, turns into Top Cat when he's in the Big Apple for work. He lives in a garbage can. It was just an idea that hit me all of a sudden. It's his Brooklyn pied-a-terre. Got all my socks, underwear, shirts. I have a lot of bedding in here, pillows, blankets. Here's the refrigerator, which is just a cooler with ice. And what if his wife comes with him? She was just down here for a week. We stayed in the dumpster together. The place is just six by six by five and a half feet. You can go diagonal and still stretch out. Yep, I know what you're wondering, and here's your answer. We have the toilet. Got a marine grade toilet, one you would find in a boat. And if you look closely, you can actually see the sidewalk. The empty dumpster cost 900 bucks, brand new, no garbage smell, and Klain spent another two and a half grand pimping her up. Granite countertop, gleaming grill, roof terrace, and yes, like Campbell, Mr. Klain also jerry-rigged a working shower. If you don't mind strangers catching a glimpse. Just flash that guy. Total cost, three and a half grand, which is like a month's rent on a one-bedroom apartment here in hipster nirvana. No rent, no mortgage, no property taxes. And you can park it pretty much anywhere. No one bats an eyelid at a dumpster. No one would ever imagine it's actually a house hiding in plain sight. Well, it's probably the nicest garbage can in the world. Yep, it probably is. All right, how many of you want to live in a dumpster now? No? Looks pretty cool to me. Maybe for a a night. And it's all perspective, isn't it? I mean, let let me give you a little phrase that might help you with this one. You know the comic strip Peanuts with Charlie Brown. Snoopy's lying on top of his doghouse. He has this really bitter spirit. And it's Thanksgiving. And Charlie Brown is, is, he, he looks inside the window and he sees the, or Snoopy looks inside the window. He sees Charlie Brown and the family. They're all having Thanksgiving dinner, turkey and cranberry sauce and potatoes and Snoopy stuck out in the doghouse, eating dog food. He's upset. And all of a sudden, 
He thought this. It could be worse. I could have been born a turkey. <laughs> I like that. It's perspective. And, and I want to help you, us with that and remember that. It could be worse. I like to do a little exercise with it could be worse. Here's how we're going to do it. Let's practice it. It could be worse. Can you say that? It could be worse. It could. It really could. When you leave church today, you're going to get into some vehicle to go home. You'll probably look to somebody else's vehicle to the right or left and go, man, that looks pretty sweet. You'll be tempted to think, man, if I just had that. But instead of doing that, wanting the newer and the nicer and the shinier today, just today, okay, when you get into your vehicle, you're not going to do that. When you get into your vehicle, you're going to say, it could be worse. That's right. When you get to wherever it is that you live and you walk through the door and you're going to be tempted to think, if I just had a nicer, newer, bigger, more expensive apartment or house, then I'd be grateful. But instead of doing that today, when you walk into wherever it is you live, your dorm room, you're going to walk in and you're going to say, it could be worse. That's right. And tomorrow morning when you wake up and roll over, if you're married and you look at your spouse. No, don't do that. Okay? Don't do that. That's not a good idea. But seriously, it could be worse. It could. See, learning contentment means just not allowing circumstances to dictate whether or not you're going to experience God's joy and God's peace and God's sense of thankfulness and contentment in your life. Not depending on your own efforts and your own strength and your own power in order to bring about contentment in your life. So we've got to learn to draw on the power of God. We have to learn to draw on God's power. Verse 13 says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You can handle it when the kids are tearing the place apart or when you lost that job or that big account went somewhere else or when the stock market plummets and the bull turns into a bear because you don't depend upon your own power. You depend upon the power of God, the Holy Spirit's power living in you, living in you as a Christian. There's a difference do you know how you, how you depend on His power? And, and that you are depending upon His power? You know it when Christ is the center of your life. John 15 talks about abiding in Christ. When we're just living in the Spirit, we're connected to the vine, connected to Jesus. And His power is flowing in us. See, we need the power of God in our life if we're going to live this thing out called contentment. And so I've got to learn to not try and control all my circumstances. I've got to learn to not always turn to myself, my plan A and plan B and plan C, but I've got to learn to drop to my knees and begin to pray and invite the power of God into my circumstances, into my business, into my life, into my family. Where do you do that? How do you do that? See, we need God's help because some of us this morning, you're struggling with addiction, a habit, something that you know is just getting in the way of your walk with God 
and you've tried several times in your own strength to kick it and get it out of your life and it keeps coming back. And God says, lean into me. Make me the center of your life. And if you will, God will empower you. Or maybe you have a bad temper and it just gets in the way and it hurts your relationships and there's relational carnage in your life because you just haven't been able to get a handle on that and you try and hide it except for those who know you best and know you have it. God wants to help you, but it's going to take the power of God to change that. Or maybe you know, man, I'm overweight and I I want to change that. I've tried, but it's just too hard and you don't want to fail again. And yet Jesus Christ, as he is the center and as we lean into his grace and learn to just abide in him, we receive a power that's beyond human self-control or will. The Greek word for the word strength is the word dunamis, which is where we get our word dynamite. That word strength means dynamite. It's powerful. It's explosive. Jesus Christ is the dynamo of our lives. He gives us that continuous energy and strength and empowerment that we don't have to run just on our own energy. He infuses us with inner strength when we plug into his power. Um, let me give you an example. For the past five years, I've been struggling with a bulging disc. And it's painful at times. It's annoying almost all of the time because it's just there in the background. And I've prayed about it a lot. I've had other people pray, like probably a hundred times. Um, we, we've gone in for medical help, chiropractics, acupuncture, physical therapy. It's not like contentment means you do nothing. I've been trying to seek some healing and get a wholeness there. It's not bad enough for, uh, for surgery. So it's just something that I'm learning to kind of live with. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it almost feels like it's gone. Sometimes it's right there in my face. See, Paul had a circumstance in his own life called a thorn in the flesh. And God chose not to remove it out of his life, this particular weakness, whatever it was, or Sickness, persecution, different theologians have different takes on it. But instead, God gave him a promise that goes like this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. Did you know sufficient is the same word as contentment in Philippians? Sufficiency is contentment. I am learning to be content with some back issues. I'm not passive. I'm not denying that it exists. I'm still believing for my healing. But until that happens, I need to live in the moment of now. And I need to learn to be content and accept the grace of God and his strength that carries me through each day and to have that attitude of gratitude Joy and peace. God allows us at times to go through problems in order to learn contentment, in order to rely upon the sufficiency that we find in Christ. Contentment comes into our life. Listen to this. Contentment comes into our life at the point that we surrender to God and invite the power of the Holy Spirit into your life. That's where contentment really comes. 
This, and it's not a one-time deal. Let me make sure that that misconception is not there. I don't just get contentment and run through the rest of my life with contentment. No, it's something we contend for. It's something that we're constantly learning. But it's always at the point that I surrender to the power of God in my life. I surrender to Jesus and I invite the Holy Spirit in. The secret to happiness found in verse 19 of Philippians 4, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. How many needs? All of them. I don't have to worry and fret and compare and complain because there are riches in Christ that what I lack physically, God will pour in in a spiritual way that will bless my life. Jesus said, so don't start worrying. Where will the food come from? What am I going to drink? How am I going to get clothes? Your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. Instead, be concerned about everything else with God's kingdom, and He will provide you with all these other things. There's something about that, that when we make God our goal, we surrender to Him, that He'll take care of the needs of our life. When we put Him at the very center, See, the real reason that people are unhappy and unsatisfied and unfulfilled is because Jesus Christ often is not the center of their life, looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places. Don't we do that? I mean, we look for it. We look for it at the mall, you know? We look for it in a certain relationship or from a job or we go from fun fix to fun fix. We do all kinds of things thinking I'll be happy then. Some people are into sports or into health or into nutrition and just thinking if I get this well-tuned machine working just right, man, I'm going to be content and happy. But there's something on the inside of every one of our lives that's incomplete and discontent until Jesus Christ comes into our life where we surrender control and we say, Lord, I'm no longer going to live by my own rules. I'm no longer longer going to live by my own agenda, my own willpower, my own whatever feels right, do it. I'm going to submit and surrender to you. You're God. You created me. Have you done that? Have you done that? Because if you haven't done that, then all of all of what we've been talking about for six weeks will not matter. None of it will bring genuine happiness. A bigger bank account won't. Upgrading your car won't. Getting that Mac Air won't. See, if, if you're discontented, it starts with where are you at in your walk with God? And some of you have invited Christ in. But maybe you've drifted away. You've drifted. He hasn't drifted anywhere. But maybe you've drifted away from having Him at the center of your life. Living in the power of the Holy Spirit. John 10.10. 10, we opened up this series with this passage. I have come, Jesus said, that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly, that you might have it to the full, that you might know what it is to live life with contentment in your heart. See, there's foolishness behind comparing ourselves with other people because all it does is it ends up making us jealous and envious and angry and prideful. And the Bible warns us, don't, don't compare yourself with other people. You don't have to be liked by everybody. You don't have to be approved by everybody. What situation has left you in a place where you're just struggling with discontent? 
Contentment is not complacency. Yes, you're going to do some things, but it's not all up to you. It doesn't mean that you like your situation. It just means that you're not looking to your circumstances to dictate whether or not you're going to walk in the joy and the peace that God provides. Can I pray for us this morning that we would receive that power that I'm talking about, that we'd make Jesus Christ the center of our lives and that as we enter into this incredibly marketing-frenzied world that's going to happen in the next 30 days, that we would learn to walk in the joy and the contentment of the Holy Spirit and that we would be Spirit-led people. Let's, let's pray right now. Lord God, we realize that we need you. We need you in the center of our lives. We need you, God, to fill that void within our heart, within our soul, that's constantly looking to other things and other people and to the illusion of more. That if we just have a little more, a little better, then we'll be happy. Lord, would you help us just surrender to you today and quit chasing that endless hope and dream that somehow if we find other things that we'll be happy. Could you open your heart, open your spirit to God today and just Say with me, you are my creator, God. You are the one I want to live my life for. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to live and die on the cross for me. And I'm receiving the forgiveness that comes from the cross into my life Cleanse me. Free me from guilt and shame. Free me now, God, from the desire to always compare and contrast and want to live up to other people's expectations, the society I live in. God, free me from that stuff. I need you. I need you. I need your power in my life. I need your power, Holy Spirit, come into my life right now. And just as a sign between you and God right now, I'm going to invite you to open your hands. Don't lift them. Just open them. Open them like I have mine open right here. Just open them right where you're at, sitting right there, as a sign of your surrender to God to say, Lord, help me live with my hands open. Not always trying to grasp and take and achieve, but Lord, to live with a gracious heart, a thankful spirit and generous hands. 
I receive you, Jesus. I receive you, Holy Spirit. And I want to live in the power of each moment you give me. In the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in the name of our mighty God. Amen. If today.